Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Tomball, a community that is radically focused on Jesus. We believe that the Bible is the living Word of God, so we are committed to reading, obeying, and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead our lives. Join us in this message as we experience the scriptures together. It's New Year's, right? It's like it doesn't seem like it this year. It seems like Sunday is not New Year's Day, but it is. And uh, I'm excited about that. I'm one of those, uh, maybe in the minority of people that like things like New Year's Day. Uh, I like the first of the month. I like the first of the week. I like all of those things. So I'm a little weird, but we're going to talk about what we normally do on New Year's. We're going to talk about resolutions today, but we're not going to call it that. We're going to call it change. But I'm excited to be here. I'm Alan McBrayer, the executive pastor here at Bay City Fellowship Tomball. And uh, this is our New Year's Day message, right? Uh, next week, we're starting a series in Genesis, and that's going to be an exciting series. There'll be so many questions and answers, and I know that Kevin will answer every question that you have about Genesis, uh, and I'm glad it's not me, uh, but uh, there's a lot of questions about that, but uh, it's just a fascinating book, so we're looking forward to that. But this week, uh, we're going to talk about change, and the title of my message is Time for a Change, and it's always time for a change, not just at New Year's, but at New Year's, it seems like it's a really big reset for me, and maybe it is for you too, a lot of times I like to go through the stuff of the last year, get rid of all the trash. I did that yesterday in my office, well, only about a third of the way through actually, and uh, <clears throat> getting rid of that and kind of thinking about what the year was that's just gone by. But also for me, and probably for many of you, it's a time to think about what is 2023, first time I've said that, 2023 going to be like? Well, first of all, it's really good because this is a much larger crowd than I expected this morning. Uh, thank y'all for being here. Hey, give yourselves a hand. Uh, braving the fog and all of those things uh, to be here. But uh, you're here and God has a word for us today. Talking about resolutions, those aren't a new thing. In fact, they say that the Babylonians some 4,000 years ago were the first ones that we have recorded as making resolutions on New Year's Day. Almost every culture on the planet looks at New Year's as a time for a reset, maybe to make resolutions, to set goals and plans. But here's the thing, only about 38% of people, it says on one site, make resolutions. And I can guess probably why that is, because if you've ever made a resolution, guess what? You've broken the resolution, right? And so sometimes we just say, well, we're not going to do that. In fact, the success rate on this same site says that only 9% are successful at keeping their resolutions. So what do we do? We decide, well, maybe that's not going to work this time. Maybe... Uh, it takes too much effort to do it. So what we do a lot of times is we decide that we'll just let things go on the way they are, even though there's changes that need to be made. And hopefully doing things the same way, something will change. We know what that's called, right? So I'll say it together, insanity. That doesn't happen, right? You actually have to do something different. If nothing changes, nothing changes. 
So I want us to think about it, though, from a little bit different angle today. Not just how to change what we want to change, because sometimes those are very little things, and we're like, maybe I can do that when maybe that'll work and that'll kind of get me going. I want us to think about the why of change. Why do we make resolutions? Is it just to make our lives better, maybe a little bit more comfortable, maybe a little easier to go through every day? Or are the changes really for a bigger purpose? And I would say that the bigger purpose is the glory of God. God wants us to make changes because He wants to receive the glory, but the only way that happens is when He is the one that helps us make the change. So I want us to think about this. Sometimes our old approach, as we all know, isn't working, and we need a new approach. Buckminster Fuller, who is an architect and writer and inventor, said this, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. I went through this in 2008. I remember this. Y'all, if you know me at all, you know that sometimes just because you tell me I ought to do that, I'm not going to do it just because I'm not, right? We're a lot of us are like that. In 2007, the iPhone came out. Hard to believe it was only now, what is that, 16 years ago? But 16 years ago, the iPhone came out. It was a different way of doing cell phones. You touch the screen, a little uh, keypad popped up that you could do the letters, a little keyboard popped up. Well, at that time, we all had cell phones, if you remember, that had little push buttons on them, and it had this predictive text. It had like three letters per button, and I thought, well, hey, I'm getting pretty good at this, you know, and uh, everybody on the staff that I was on in the church where I was, everybody on the staff, though, they were a bunch of techies. They wanted the latest thing, and so they all had iPhones in 2008. Guess who was not going to get an iPhone? That would be me. So I got the latest Nokia cell phone, which was the number one selling cell phone in the world at the time. I got the latest model because I was going to prove to them that that was the better way to go. Within about three months, I had an iPhone. <laughs> because on the iPhone, you could actually see the letter and punch the letter, right? I mean, it's like this isn't really rocket science. It makes sense. And so as a result, everybody's phone is patterned after the iPhone today. But in order for me to go to an iPhone, there had to get away from what I had, there had to be a better model altogether that got me away from that. And so this kind of lets us know that a lot of times what we're doing is because there's some element of it that's working for us right now. Something better's got to be there to make us want to change. And what we're going to talk about today is exactly that thing with a story from the book of John. There was a man that was in this very situation. So if you would turn to the book of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, we're going to read these verses. John 5, 1 through 5. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. 
because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up recovered from whatever ailment he had. One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. Sick for 38 years. He had been unable to walk for 38 years. Apparently, he was born with the ability to walk on his own. But now for 38 years, he had been in this condition. Maybe somebody every day brought him to the pool of Bethesda, and maybe at the end of the day, they came and got him and took him back home. Maybe they had just laid him there at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years without even checking on him. But this man had been in this condition. Now, the thing is, when we read this story, a lot of times, if you're familiar with the story, we read the story and we think it's about the man doing what Jesus said when he said, do you want to get well? And it's about the man saying, yes, I want to get well. But that's not what this story is really about, although that's an element of the story that we'll look at. What this story is really about is the power of Jesus to change things in your life. The power of Jesus to change something that you consider so impossible, you've been that way for fill in the blank number of years, you are not going to change. It's out of the realm of possibility, and so you completely give up on it. The book of John, where this comes from, has seven of these miracles. They are considered to be, as John says, signs of who Jesus is. They point to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus is the coming Messiah who was promised, and because of that, He is able to do these things. The first one of those signs was Him turning the water into wine. When He did that, then it was a miracle that was kind of obscure, but the ones who knew about it knew that it was a sign of His deity. The last one was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. By that time, almost everyone knew that Jesus was somebody unique and special, and if they had insight, they were able to see that this truly was the Son of God. So this story is really about Jesus, who performs miracles, who can bring about impossible change. And I want us to think about three things today. First of all, I want us to think about the need we have to change. Why? Because it will point to Jesus, because it will give Him glory. We all need to change, even in those things that we don't think are possible. Secondly, I want us to think about the path to that change. That's the one that gets us interested the most, because if you need to change, it hadn't worked so far, you want to figure out how to do it. We're going to see in this passage a path, a very simple path to change. Not easy, but simple. But last, Jesus is more concerned that we don't just change, but that we continue to change. And so I want us to think last about the continuation to change. So let's look first at the need to change. This scene, this man was not the only one there. There were, it says, many who were there laying underneath those, that portico among these colonnades. Many of them were there. They were all waiting for one thing. They were waiting for this angel to appear who would stir the water of the pool of Bethesda, and the first one that jumped in got healed. So, you know, they all had track shoes on. 
not really. They were all needing to get into that pool. But only one at that season of the year, every year, as legend has it, the Bible doesn't say this was a true story. It may be bracketed in your Bible, but it probably had an element of truth to it. Somehow, every year, one person would get healed, and all the rest of the year, everyone else was looking forward to getting healed. So you can take that for what it is. But you know, these stories, somebody wins the lottery, and you're like, why didn't that happen to me? You know, somebody has this amazing healing and you say, why didn't that happen to me? Somebody gets sober after being a, you know, whatever kind of alcoholic, you know, and you say, why didn't that happen to me? The truth is it happened to one person and everyone else was there. I want to submit to you today that every single person in this room today can receive the power to change and to be healed in whatever area it is just like this one person every year did. We don't have to wait for a year for that to happen. We don't have to limit it to one person. This can happen to all of us. So Jesus comes along and he tells this man who'd been lame for 38 years, he sees him and he tells him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. The man does it and then later on discovers that it was Jesus who actually did the healing. So what about this man's need to change? First of all, he's like us. He was helpless. Now, we don't like to think of ourselves as helpless, but he's really a picture of us. If you've ever tried to change and keep your resolutions or your commitments to change, almost every single time the commitment fails and you don't change permanently. So you wonder what the heck is going on? Am I just broken, (laughs) you know? I see these people around me changing and I can't change. Well, probably if you ask every person, they've got the same story to some extent. He was helpless. He was laying there. He couldn't do anything to fix himself. There was no one there to help him because everybody was competing with everybody, trying to be the first one in the water. So nobody was going to help him. So this helplessness felt permanent. Have you ever said to yourself, I'll never change? I'm going to be like this. Look, I've got stuff I've been dealing with since I was in my 20s, maybe earlier, but I wasn't aware of it then. And, you know, I'm still working on that. We've all got those kind of stories. It feels permanent. And because of that, not only are we helpless, but we also feel hopeless. We're like, yeah, that'd work for some people if I was just fast enough. But that'd work for some people. This is not going to work for me. You're without hope. I'm without hope. Like this man said, after 38 years, nothing's different. Why should it change now? I read one time a cartoon of a man. I saw this cartoon in the paper back when they had papers and we saw cartoons. Uh, I saw this cartoon in the paper, the man standing before the card section at the grocery store. He was getting a get well card. This section said, get well soon. This section said, learn to live with it. Sometimes that's the way we are, isn't it? Instead of thinking we can get well soon, we're just going to learn to live with it. Hey, that's just who I am. When somebody says that about something that really bothers you, them saying that really bothers you, right? It's like that is the way you are, but you don't have to stay that way, right? That is the way I am, 
but I don't have to continue to be that way. There's power that's available. That's the way we do with resolutions. We set goals and make plans. They go well at first, and then they quit working, and we're right back where we were. And so we learn to live with a condition. I think it's why most people don't make resolutions because they've tried and it didn't work. So it's like, I'm not doing that again. I just feel too bad about myself. But see, this is a problem. Like an example of that is if you've been wounded in a relationship, don't raise your hand. Uh, If you've been wounded in a relationship, then the natural thing is you have trust issues. Hey, I am not going to invest myself in that relationship or in another relationship because I've been wounded once when I did that, and I'm not going to do that again. Well, that does make sense. But the problem is you wind up having poor relationships everywhere because you've been hurt, and you don't want to go through that again. The biggest problem with that is now you can't bless others in relationships because you're afraid of relationships, and you can apply that to a whole lot of things. The problem with that mindset is, is it fails to consider that we really can change just like this man that was there at the pool of Bethesda. You may believe that God can change you. You just don't really believe he notices or that he cares. But this story blows that idea up because when Jesus came, he did notice the man and he did care. The past in our lives really doesn't matter in the sense of predicting what's going to happen. It's like that stock market slogan that says, past performance is no guarantee of future results. How well we know that, right? And that's true in so many areas of our life. We need a paradigm shift. When Jesus enters the room, we can change. Thomas Akempis, who wrote the little classic, The Imitation of Christ, said this, God often gives in one brief moment that which he has for a long time denied. You get what he's saying? It's like suddenly everything changes. Nothing could have predicted that this change was going to happen. This man could not have predicted that Jesus was going to walk that morning into this crowd of people that were sick at the pool of Bethesda and that his life would change forever. But that's exactly what happened. And I want us to understand that it's that belief that Jesus can change us that gives us hope and makes us able to continue the changes. Frank Layden was a basketball coach for the Utah Jazz many years ago, 20 years ago maybe, and he was a great motivator. He was really frustrated with one of his players. One of his players had this tremendous potential, but he could never get him to do what he needed to do. And one day he was just so frustrated, he got him off to the side and he says, hey, Son, what's your problem? He says, is it ignorance or is it apathy? And he said, coach, I don't know and I don't care. (laughs) It was ignorance and it was apathy. But see, that's the truth for us, isn't it? Sometimes we don't know how to change. And so then we tell ourselves that we don't care. That's just not true. We do care. We do want to change but we don't know how. So this man, he was helpless and hopeless. There was a third issue going on with him too, though. And I think in a way, he had the wrong dependencies. He was depending on others, but others were not going to help him. 
Sometimes that's what we try to do. We try to get others to help us. We go to the self-help store. We try to fix ourselves even. We try to get other people's advice, but we can't fix ourselves. That's pretty distressing to us. But also, this man was just depending on a miracle. Now, I want you to step back and think about this a little bit. There was nothing he could do. He was laying there. So he was just hoping against hope that maybe this miracle would happen to him and things would change. I think he gave up that hope. But a lot of people do believe, I'm not going to do anything, but maybe something will happen. Maybe just like this split in the universe happens and this shaft of light comes down and everything. It's not a God miracle necessarily. Just hoping that some kind of magic happens and your life magically changes. That may happen, but that's not the kind that God is looking for. God is looking for change that glorifies Him, the kind of change that He gives. The kind of change, like the song says, that when you walk into the room, everything changes. So what is that path to change? We see that path to change in John 5, 6 through 10. It says this, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is a Sabbath. It is illegal for you to pick up your mat. They didn't get it, did they? Like they focused on the wrong thing. But what was the path to change? The first element of this path to change was for this man to admit his need. And why do I say that? Because Jesus asked him this question, do you want to get well? Jesus is asking us that same question today. Do you, do we want to get well? Or is there a reason that you continue to stay that way? Maybe it's working for you on some level. Maybe the thought of changing is too, is too fearful to, to you, and the way you are is still okay. But this, this question, it seems so obvious. That, why would Jesus ask this question? It's like uh, the, we watched a lot of football yesterday and over this, this week with the bowl games. It's like them asking the coach, hey, do you think you can win the game? No, we're just going to show up and play. Yeah, I think I can win the game. What kind of coach would I be if I didn't think we could win the game? Somebody's on the side of the road. There's no one there to help them. They're trying to change their flat, and you see it's not working. Hey, do you need help? Just get out of the car and help them. Don't ask them if they need help. It's kind of like the same question. Do you want to get well? Duh, of course I want to get well. Well, so Jesus said, get well. That's what happened, right? We've got to ask ourselves, why are we staying this way? We have to admit our need that we're helpless and hopeless and that nothing is working. I thought about this. This attitude, that one right there, is the sweet spot for Jesus to bring change into your life. When you finally, when I finally say, I can't do it, Jesus. I need you to 
to change me, that's when he begins to work. When the pain of staying the same finally outweighs the pain of changing, that's when we're ready to get well. Now, on one, el- on one a way of looking at it, to be an Eastern beggar like he had to be, that brought some benefits to his life. What would life look like if he changed? Jesus didn't ask him about all that. He just said, do you want to get well? That's the question that he wants to ask us today. He doesn't want us to say, hey, have you looked at me? Of course I want to get well. But he says, I can't. And he just started making excuses. I mean, it was a legitimate excuse. Nobody is helping me, and I'm always one step too slow. He had an airtight case against change. You know, I can say, my dad was an alcoholic. So if I'm an alcoholic, hey, the cards are stacked against me. It's just the way it is. We can make up all these different reasons. His was pretty legit. It's like, yeah, you are one step too slow. Nobody's going to help you get into the water, even if that did work. We have to start blaming other things when we can't change and admit our need for Jesus to change us. Ask him to do what is impossible. But when we do this, he doesn't just want us to ask for the impossible, the thing that we can't seem to change. He wants us to do it, not just so that our lives will be better. He wants us to do it so he will receive the glory. And I have to say that this is where I fail most of the time. There are changes that I want to make. I make resolutions. I don't call them that because it's not cool to do that, Uh, you know. But I make these commitments that I'm going to change, and then next thing you know, I only did it for a little while, and it didn't change. I have to ask myself, am I doing this because I want him, God, Jesus, to receive the glory, or am I doing it just so that my life will be a little bit better? I have to admit my need for Jesus. But he also says this. To this man, he says, get up and walk. So not only do I need to admit my need to Jesus, but I need to obey Jesus. Like I said, it's simple, just not easy. Obey Jesus. Jesus says to do this, and I simply do it. Now, here's an interesting thing. Jesus isn't highlighting this man's faith. Think about it. Not one word is said about this man's faith. Not even at the end when he finally discovers it was Jesus that did it. Even then, it's kind of like he's selling Jesus out to the scribes and Pharisees. He's like, yeah, Jesus is the one who broke the Sabbath, not me, right? What Jesus is doing is he is highlighting his ability to change the man. And how do we actually change if we don't really believe Jesus is going to do it, it's when Jesus says to do it that we actually do it. That's a simple test. Did Jesus say to do it in his word? Then do it. There's no point in trying to dissect it. There's no point in trying to so overanalyze it that you don't do it, that you drag your feet like they say You know, that paralysis of analysis is what we do sometimes when Jesus says to do it. And we just don't do it. We come up with another explanation. But here's the deal. Jesus tells you to obey him like he did this man after he has begun the personal relationship with you. 
The first thing Jesus did with this man is he engaged this man. Now, think about this. There were a whole bunch of people that were there. I don't know how many, but they were all waiting for this miracle. There were a lot of people. It says many, and that's what it means in the Greek. It means many, just so you know. There were a lot of people there, right? And so Jesus, out of all of those people, he saw this man and he engaged this man who had been sick for 38 years. This is not uncommon for Jesus. Jesus did this. We heard the sermon about the, from the woman at the well a few weeks ago. Jesus engaged the woman at the well. Jesus engaged Matthew, who was the hated tax collector, and he said, get up and follow me. He saw Zacchaeus up in the tree. Zacchaeus didn't know he was noticing He noticed Zacchaeus, and he says, come down out of your tree. He needs to say that to a lot of us. Come down out of your tree because I want to have dinner with you today. This is what Jesus does. He engages us. So when he says, obey me, he already knows who we are, and he has this personal relationship with us. He sees us. He actually, he is more committed to us changing than we are. He pursues us, and he wants us to change. But not only does he engage us, but when he encounters and engages us, Jesus is able to to heal us. It says that when Jesus spoke the word, get up, pick up your mat and walk, the man was healed. I'm just thinking about this. What if the man had said, wait a minute, I can't walk. What do you mean? Get up, pick up my mat and walk. I can't walk. What if he had said, uh, I can't carry my mat on the Sabbath day because that would be breaking the Jewish law. I can't do that. Jesus didn't let him get all of those things out. He simply said, obey me. He simply said, get up and you will be healed. When we do what Jesus said, what he promises will happen. This is just like the creative words in Genesis 1 just to think about Genesis next week. God spoke it, let there be light, and there was light. Let the dry land appear, the dry land appeared. Let the earth bring forth vegetation, it brought forth vegetation. Jesus, just like God in Genesis chapter 1, he was the agent of creation, it says in the New Testament. He spoke the word, get up, pick up your mat and walk, and he was healed instantly. This is what he does. So what is the point of all this? The point is this, is that Jesus is the one who brings real and lasting change. It's not our willpower. It's not us trying harder. It's not us being so miserable that we just have to do something to make life change. It's us actually trusting in Jesus and asking him or allowing him to initiate that lasting change. There's a song that we sing here, His Name is Jesus. The first line says this, the healer's in the room, the healer's in the room. And today, Jesus is the healer, and He's in the room. And He wants to make those changes in your life, not just so that your life will be better, which it will, but He wants to make those changes in our lives so that we will be able to bring Him glory as we bless others. So, 
the last part then, that's the path, admit our need and obey him. But the last part is this. How do we continue the change? Because we all know what it's like to change, and then the whole thing fall apart. How do we continue the change? The continuation of change. It tells us in 11 through 15. Jesus replied to these, or the man replied to these Jewish leaders. The man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was cured did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. The first thing the man had to do to continue the change was to confess that Jesus was the healer. He didn't know at first. When he found out, he went back and he told them, Jesus is the healer. Now, why do, we, why do I believe that that was a necessary element to continue to change? Because unless you believe that Jesus, that God is the one who really has changed you, you will be relying on yourself to continue the change. You will be relying on your commitment. And we all know that we're not that strong because we all have these issues of, of trying to do things and these things not working. We have to confess that Jesus is the one who is the healer. He is the point of change. He wants to give us God-sized changes, not just these little changes. This passage shows us that he's the one that needs the credit for the change. That was the man's entry point into his new life. He did get a brand new life. He could suddenly walk. He could go and tell everybody what had happened, which it doesn't say that he did here. But because he believed that Jesus had healed him, Jesus had actually done the impossible. Because he believed that, then he knew that that change could continue. And that's what Jesus wanted for him. When they challenged him about carrying his mat, he said, well, the man who got me well, the man who told me to pick up my mat was the very same man that healed me. In other words, this man was saying, his healing, his rules. Get this, his healing, his rules. Jesus, God, is our creator he is our redeemer because he has saved us from our sins. He's forgiven us. He's given us eternal life. But he is our restorer. He's the one who restores our life, who makes our lives whole. That's who Jesus is. And because of that, this man said, the man who healed me, he said to do it. So there's no question here. I'm going to do it. So if we're going to make these changes, not only do we have to confess that Jesus is the one who healed us, but we have to also believe that Jesus is the one who is our boss. We have to confess him as our boss. If he said to do it, I'm going to do that. Unfortunately, like the Jewish leaders a lot of times, we don't really want to do that because we want the control over our life. We want to change as much as we want to change, but we don't want to just give him carte blanche on our life to change us as he knows that we need to change. But that's what he wants to do in our lives. 
And so we have to confess him as healer, but we also have to confess him as our boss, as the Lord of our life. But last, and we'll conclude with this, we have to confess him and turn from our sin. This is an interesting thing that he says to the man. He says, go and sin no more, that something worse may not happen to you. Now, we don't know what this man's sin was. We don't know if Jesus was saying in general that when you sin, bad things happen, or if he had said, you did this particular sin 38 years ago, and this is what happened. The text just doesn't tell us. But it is a general principle that we can follow, and it's this, is that if we don't obey Jesus and we do choose to sin instead, which those really are the options, if we do choose to do that, then the Bible says this, the wages of sin is death and destruction. It says in Galatians 6, 9, that if we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption and decay. Things will not get better. They will get worse. At first, they may feel good. They may be fun, but they will get worse because we're sowing to the flesh and not to the Spirit. Jesus wants us, if we are to continue the change, to actually own our mindset about our way of life. That's what repentance really is. That's what confessing your sin and turning from it really means. It means to say, I don't want to live life that way anymore because that's not the right way to live because that's not how Jesus wants me to live. And it's to say, I want to live the way he wants me to live, whatever that is. And that's when change becomes permanent in your life. And if you don't continue to do that, then that change will go away. And as Jesus said, seven spirits even more evil than the first one that left will come back in and your last condition will be worse than your first. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, stop sinning or you're going to get even worse than you were. Maybe not the same thing, but this, the consequences are going to be very bad. Is this easy? No. It's not easy to obey Jesus because our nature is against that. It's not easy for us to turn from our sin because we kind of like it or we wouldn't be doing it. But the truth is, unless we do that, we will never have permanent lasting change in our lives and he will never receive that glory. Jesus wants the best for us. He said in 10, John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. He is for us. He is not against us. Why wouldn't we want to do what he said? A few years ago, in 2004 actually, my, my dad died and then my mom lived to about six years ago, 2016. And my mom told me a story about my dad maybe a couple of years before he died that I'd never heard before. What I had heard before, and some of you may, may know this, is that my dad was an alcoholic until he was 40 years old. He didn't really realize he was an alcoholic until he really got on the roller coaster and hit bottom. But he was an alcoholic. His whole family, my, you know, ancestors, we came from Ireland, okay? We were probably all alcoholics. I could probably be one really easy. I'm just saying. Uh, but, uh, but my dad was, was and, and it got so bad in my dad's life, at 40 years old, he came to the breaking point. Now, I can 
probably think why that happened. My mom and dad had had a little baby girl about three or four years before I was born. And at two and a half years old, that little baby girl choked on a bean and died. He still carried around that picture of her in his wallet until the day he died, in fact. And I think my mom and my dad grieved so much over that. And my dad was so convicted about his drinking. My dad was a believer, but he was so convicted about his drinking. And he couldn't change. He couldn't stop drinking. And he thought maybe God was punishing him by that happening. I don't believe that's so, but only God can tell. My mom had a nervous breakdown. And so in 1957, when I was eight years old, my mom brought all three of us, the boys, to Fort Worth to live with her sister and her mom. And one night, my dad was still up in Childers, Texas, up in West Texas, and we were living in Fort Worth now. That's how we got there. And one night, my mom and my aunt and my grandmother decided they would pray for dad. And I didn't find out about this part of the story until a few years before mom died. That the very time that they were praying for dad to stop drinking, that very same night he pulled over on the side of the road in his pickup, he got on his knees beside the pickup and he surrendered his life to Christ. He didn't drink again for 35 years. Dad gave his life to Christ, but then here's the other part of the story. We were all reunited. He started going to church. He started serving the Lord. He was in a Bible class with other men where they really loved the Word, and they listened, and they did what God said. They spent nights visiting other men who were in that same situation, whatever the issue might have been. He devoted his life then to the Lord. And because of that, the drinking and the alcohol went out of his life. I want to encourage you today that you can change. I can change. God wants me to change and you to change. But he wants it for your, not for your well-being, although that will happen. He wants it for his glory. But he wants that change to continue by being with other believers, by being in the word, by being in prayer, by seeking him, by continuing to replace that old way of life with his new way of life. And when you do, the result will be that others are blessed and he will be glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, uh, this story from the book of John. We thank you, Lord, that with you, there is nothing that is impossible that anyone can change if they will put their trust in you, if they will admit their need, if they will simply obey you and follow you. Lord, I pray today in this room for those who realize it's time for a change that they would do that, Lord. And that today, even if it's not this morning, that sometime today, Lord, that we will get off with you and we will say, I give my life to you, Jesus. I need you. 
not just for the changes, but I need you for fullness and wholeness of life. Lord, would you do that today? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. And let me just encourage you today that if God has put something on your heart that you've battled with, you may have battled with it for 38 years. You may have battled with it for 38 days, whatever it may be. That you would come forward and pray with one of these folks down here, not because they have any magic, but because when you pray with other people about these needs, it demonstrates your earnestness and your seriousness before God. And others can encourage you. They may have been through the same thing. Let me also ask you, if you have never made that first step to put your faith in Jesus for the first time, you don't really have a personal relationship with him. You see other people that seem to be really excited about Jesus, but it's just kind of a religious thing for you. I have nobody in mind. But sometimes it's that way because when we come to church on Sundays, we look really good, right? But if you realize that you want that personal relationship with you with Jesus, knowing that he notices you and cares about you, that he engages with you and wants to change you, then come forward. They can pray with you about that. But whatever your need is today, whatever your need is to change, Jesus can do it. We're going to sing a song now of worship and ask you to come forward. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date on our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Tomball app to find community in the body of Christ.